the voice of God speaks to us like this. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, hey, it's good to see you guys. Welcome to Frontline Yukon. Week number two, uh, yeah, it's, it's great, to, uh, great to be here with you. Grab your Bibles if you have them and head to uh, the book of Hosea. Hosea is in the Old Testament, and uh, if you're in here and you're like, I- I'm not familiar with the Bible, uh, that is, that's okay. Uh, the Bible's split into two big sections. You've got New Testament, Old Testament. Hosea is in the Old Testament, uh, somewhere towards the end of the Old Testament, and uh, if it's helpful, it's on page 751 of my Bible. So you can head to page 751 if you have uh, my Bible. I-, I was sharing with my son who was here last week, he- he's 13, and uh, he heard, I think he heard Chad or somebody say, we're not going to be here forever. And uh, he got home, was really disappointed, was like, this place is awesome, why can we not just stay here? It's incredible, get to go see horses after. And, uh, and it was like, well, you know, there's no place for the, for the kids and he, he was very seriously, was like, well, I was walking up and I saw a bunch, it looked like perfect, like classrooms downstairs. And I was like, yeah, bub, those are, those are horse stalls. And he looked at me like, I, it sounds perfect for kids. And you got hay. And so I don't know, I guess it's apparently frowned upon to have your kids in the horse stalls, but well, here we are. Hey, uh, if I haven't met you, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John Murphy. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here, and it is such a joy to be out here with you guys. Um, I want to say before we dive in that you have an incredible team of pastors and leaders out here. Uh, It really is remarkable what the Lord's doing, and it's it's an answer to years and years of prayers and years and years of people working. Like, you just may not know, there, there are so many folks in this room and who aren't in this room who have labored in prayer and in act to see this happen. Uh, I, I planted a church in years back and have worked with a whole lot of church planners. And, and just what the Lord's doing with the team and with the people here uh, is remarkable. In, in, in all my time of, of uh, coaching church planners, there's nobody who's been like, hey, I'm going to plant a church during a global pandemic. What do you think of that? So uh, it's probably a good thing that I wasn't your guys' church planning coach. That would have been like, a global pandemic, are you sure? But here we are, and uh, it, it's incredible. It, so, so let me say this. If, if you're new to Frontline Yukon, uh, maybe you're new to Frontline, you're new to Frontline Yukon, you're new to the church, this is, a, this is home for you. 
Like, I, 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 want, I want you to know you have pastors and leaders who love you, who pray for you. They're going to care for you. They're going to look after you. If you're in here and you would say, hey, if I'm honest, like, I don't follow Jesus. I'm, I'm interested in this, but I'm just not sure where I'm at. Uh, this is a good place for you to engage those questions and those doubts. Uh, if you have friends who don't follow Jesus, bring them here. This is a great place. They're going to hear about Jesus. The, their doubts and their questions are going to be engaged, not looked down upon. And, and so wherever you find yourself like on that spectrum, we're glad you're here. You're home. Uh, I, I'm going to pray for us. Let's do this together. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. And then we'll see what the Lord has for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you've sent your spirit. And spirit, we pray that you would do what you love to do, that you would reveal truth to us through your word, ultimately that you would satisfy us with the once dead, now risen Jesus Christ. It's in your name, it's because of you, it's through you that we gather and pray this morning. Amen. We started last week, Chad did for us, a, a series called Metaphors of the Church. And what we're looking at in this series is what is Jesus's vision for his church? This is his church. It's not my church. It's not any of the pastors, the leaders' church. It's Jesus's church. And so we want to answer the question, what's his vision for his church? Typically, when we start to think about the church, we jump very quickly to what should we be doing as a church and how should we be doing it? And what we want to do with this series is actually go beneath that and say, well, why the church in the first place? Like, what's the essence of the church? And in this series, we're going to learn through these metaphors, these pictures, about our identity and our action as a church. These two foundational questions, who am I and what's my purpose? And so to answer those questions, Jesus gives us these metaphors, these pictures. He gives us the metaphor that the church is the bride of Christ, that it's the body of Christ, that it's the family of God, and that it's the temple of God. And so today we're going to look at that first metaphor, the bride of Christ. Now, as we get started, uh, just a common misconception to deal with, because maybe you're in here and, and you're a man and you would be like, I ain't the bride of no man. I'm not, I'm not the bride of no. Okay. You are not, and I am not individually the bride of Christ. The church, all true believers for all time, collectively together are the bride of Christ. So I, I know for some folks, it may be like, I don't know that I want to marry Jesus. We together are the bride of Christ, and that's what we're talking about. And this metaphor, this picture, has its roots actually in the Old Testament. It's not something that just comes on the scene when Jesus uh, comes to earth and lives. It it's actually starts in the Old Testament. Genesis 12, we see this story unfolding where God calls this guy Abram and he makes a promise to him. And he says in Genesis 12, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And we see through Abram, God makes this covenant with what would become the nation of Israel where he says, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. He's going to set his love on this nation in a really unique way. Then if you're familiar with the Old Testament, what we see there is that the story is a mess. God is faithful, and the people aren't faithful. The story of the Old Testament really can be summed up with the phrase, God and his unfaithful bride. And so he comes again and again to this metaphor of, of what it means that he's the husband and his people are his bride. And we see it. We see it in Ezekiel. It shows up in Isaiah. It shows up in Jeremiah. 
And in a really unique and beautiful way, in a poignant way, it shows up here in the book of Hosea. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the beginning of this story, kind of set the scene so that we understand what's going on, and then see what the Lord has for us uh, in Hosea here. So Hosea 1, beginning in verse 2, it says this, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, who is a prophet, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he, Hosea, went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so here's what's happening. God comes to this prophet Hosea. God would give to the prophets messages for the people. And so prophets would serve as the mouthpiece of the Lord. And he said, I don't want you to just speak to the people. I want you to actually give the people a picture of what's happening in our relationship, what our relationship is like, God and the people of Israel. And so he says, I want you to go take a wife of whoredom. And, and it's really important to understand what that is because there's, there's a misconception that he's coming and saying, Jose, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And that's not actually what happens. He, he's saying, basically what he's saying is, Jose, you're going to go marry this woman. And the beginning of your marriage is going to be marital bliss. Y'all are going to have a kid and it's going to be incredible. But this woman who was once faithful to you, she's going to be unfaithful to you. And so you're going to experience the pain that I experience in my relationship with the people of Israel. And the people of Israel and Hosea are going to get this vivid picture of what their relationship with God had turned into. Then what happens in the rest of chapter 1 is they have a son. And then the text changes very quickly as it goes on. And it says, uh, it says first that Gomer bore Hosea a son. And then it says she bore a daughter. And then it says she bore another son. But the text changes. And what we know is that the daughter and the son that she bore were not actually Hosea's kids. So she's been unfaithful to Hosea. Gomer goes after other lovers. And she begins to think that it's these other lovers that she's with. She begins to think that it's them who actually truly love her, that it's them who take care of her, that it's them who are going to be there for her. And God says, that's exactly what Israel has done. Israel, who was once faithful to me, has now said, well, we're going to go over to this God called Baal. And Baal was a fertility God. And so the people of Israel just kind of mixed worship of God with worship of Baal. God provides some things, but it's Baal who provides the land and, and the crops and all of that. And that's what we really need. And, and what God communicates all throughout the Old Testament is that idolatry, chasing after other gods, is spiritual adultery. And God's going to bring judgment against Israel for her unfaithfulness. And so Hosea's marriage is a picture of God's faithful pursuit of his unfaithful bride. Gomer ends up abandoning her children and Hosea and living with another man. And that's where we'll pick up the story in Hosea chapter 3. It starts like this. And the Lord said to me, to Hosea, go again, love a woman, Gomer, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I, this is Hosea, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Verse four, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. 
Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and his, to his goodness in the latter days. So here's what's happening here. Gomer is being sold as a slave. We don't know exactly what's happened, but she finds herself not living with this other lover anymore, but actually being sold as a slave for whatever reason. And the scene is a really important one to understand. It's a vivid picture that God wants the people of Israel to understand. Because, I mean, just, so just picture this scene with me, if you will. What would happen is a slave would be brought up on a platform. And then a slave, in great humiliation and shame, would be stripped naked. And then a slave would begin to hear other people call out what they think this person's worth is. And so here's Gomer. She's been stripped naked, and she begins to hear other men call out, this is what we think your value is. Think about that scene. Think about what she must be feeling, that there's shame and there's guilt. She's probably wondering, like, how, how did I get here? How did I find myself here? And then she hears a familiar voice. Hosea begins to bid on her. And she's probably thinking, well, here we go. He's going to buy me back, and he's going to bring retribution against me for my unfaithfulness, and to be honest, I probably deserve it. Then what happens in this story is that Hosea doesn't buy her to punish her. He doesn't buy her to condemn her. He doesn't bring her back into his home as a slave. He brings her back as his wife. He pursues her, he redeems her, and he brings her back and re-covenants with her as his wife. He brings her back into relationship. And what we know is that this entire story is a picture of God's faithfulness to his unfaithful bride. And so what does this mean for us? This, this foundation of the bride of Christ from the Old Testament. Remember, these, these metaphors show us our identity and action as the church. So what does this show us about our identity as the bride of Christ? Well, it shows us a lot of things, but we'll focus just on two this morning. The first is this. God loves his unlovable bride. God loves his unlovable bride. The love of God is on full display here. Though Israel is perpetually unfaithful to God, God still lavishes. He pours out. He's not stingy with. He pours out the abundance of his love on Israel. Do you notice that like at no point in this story is there an indication that God's expectation was that Israel would get her stuff together to show that she is lovable to God? Hosea doesn't do this with Gomer. He's not like, okay, I bought you. Now you need to prove that you were worthy of me redeeming you, Gomer. And God's saying, that's how my relationship is with you. Now think about how we typically pursue marriage or, or we find a bride or, or a husband. We'll, we'll begin to put down a list maybe. Maybe you grew up and you start to write this list. I, man, I, I imagine this woman or I imagine this man and, and, and they've got a perfect personality and they've got similar interests to mine. Like we need to enjoy doing stuff together. They need to be attractive. That's third on the list, not first because it, it, would be, it would, wouldn't be okay if that was the number one priority, but we'll put it as number three. They need to be a good spouse. They need to be faithful. Maybe you would say, I, I really desire someone who's saved themselves for marriage. 
the list goes on and on. We've, we feel that there's something we have to do to turn the gaze of a suitable partner or vice versa, that we're just kind of waiting for somebody to do something to turn our gaze. Think about Israel. Like, think about what Israel, unfaithful, perpetually unfaithful, perpetually running after other lovers. This is Israel's This is Israel's rap sheet, and God sets his love on Israel. Why? Why does he do this? Deuteronomy 7 tells us, it's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. He's not like, there's a great empire. They're going to make my name great again, and so I'm going to go after them. He he says, uh, it's not because of that that he set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Here's the reason. But it was because the Lord loves you. Because he loves you. That's why he set his love on you and me. And so maybe you're in here and you would say, I I don't really feel lovable. I I don't feel worthy of the love of God. I want to believe that this is all true. I want to believe that God loves me, that he pursues me, but I just don't feel lovable. From this story, God wants you to hear he loves you in spite of your unfaithfulness. He loves me in spite of my unfaithfulness. He loves what is apparently unlovable. Second, God pursues his wandering bride. He loves his unlovable bride, and he pursues his wandering bride. And do you notice what's happened in this story? God could have told Hosea, Hosea, your wife's going to be unfaithful to you. And after a period of time, her life is going to hit rock bottom, and she's going to realize it, and she's going to come back. And she's going to come back with shame and guilt and you need to forgive her and bring her back as your wife. But that's not what he does. He says, Hosea, your wife is wandering and I want you to go rescue her. She's in need and I want you to pursue her. I don't want you to wait for her to return to you. I want you to go get her, go save her, go rescue her. He says, go find her, go bring her into covenant again. Go make a covenant with her. Go bring her to yourself, bring her back into the family. And that's the character and nature of our God. He doesn't wait for the wandering to realize they're wandering, to regret their wandering, and to turn back to him. He leaves the 99 to go and pursue the one. And so maybe you're in here and you're like, man, my, my life has been one of wandering. And maybe you're like, man, I, I do believe that God has pursued me with his love and his faithfulness, but you just don't know I have wandered time and time again. And it seems like no matter what I do, I can't stop wandering from God. And if you're honest, your fear is I'm really either I've gone one too many or I'm about to go one too many. And God's going to say, I pursued you enough. Now it's your fault. Learn from this story that in her darkest moment, She's pursued by her husband that she was unfaithful to because it's a reflection of a God who pursues those who are unfaithful to him. He's not waiting for you. He's pursuing you. God loves his unlovable bride and he pursues his wandering bride. And and, and so we might say, well, God loves you perfectly. He loves his bride perfectly and is a bride of Christ. Love him in response. And if you're wandering, just turn around because he's right there. If you're unfaithful, just turn around. He's there. Be faithful. The question is, what happens when that doesn't work? See, there's a problem that's present in Gomer 
And it's present in the people of Israel. And friends, if you and I were honest, it's present in us. And it's that we cannot be faithful. As hard as we try and as much as we do, and no matter how many lists we create for ourselves, we, like the nation of Israel, like Gomer, we have a perpetual propensity to be unfaithful. Try as we may. Israel's the exact same. The the whole story of the Old Testament is faithful God, faithless people. And really, if we're honest, that's our story. We can't remain faithful. Here's the thing. With the problem comes a promise. We see it in Hosea chapter 2. The answer to Gomer's unfaithfulness, the answer to Israel's unfaithfulness and spiritual adultery, and friends, the answer to your unfaithfulness and my unfaithfulness. Hosea chapter 2, you heard it read earlier, verse 14. God says, in the midst of her wandering and her unfaithfulness, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety." Verse 19, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. Do you notice in those few short verses how many times God says, I will? I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. It's not, Israel, I'm going to do this. I'm going to meet you halfway. And then this is what you need to do to show that I was wise for meeting you halfway. He says, no, no, no. Here's the covenant. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this over and over and over again. He says, I'm going to allure her. His unfaithful bride, God says, I'm going to allure her. This word is, I'm going to draw her out. I'm going to romance her. I'm going to bring her to myself. This is what Hosea did for Gomer. He tells her, I'm reestablishing my covenant with you. God does the same. This is what God has done for us in Christ. Romans 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, when we were like Gomer running into the arms of other lovers, when we weren't finding our satisfaction in God, when we were being unfaithful to God, when we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ absorbed the penalty for our unfaithfulness. Verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're in here and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, Christ has come to rescue you. And you may say, like me, I resonate with Gomer's story. Because it's like, no matter what I do, I, I just have, I, I seem to try to find my satisfaction and my identity in things other than God. That's spiritual, uh, spiritual adultery. That's exactly what she's doing. And, and what God wants you to hear this morning 
follower of Jesus, bride of Christ, is that he set his love on you. He's given himself for you. He loves and cherishes you. You're precious to him. You are his beloved. And turn again this morning to the perfect bridegroom and listen for him to speak tenderly to you, not words of condemnation. He offers new grace this morning. He'll offer new grace tomorrow morning and he'll do it again every morning after that until he either calls you home to himself or he comes back to make you what you already are, his perfect bride. If, if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus or maybe you're like, man, I just have a lot of questions. I just don't know. Here's what I want you to consider this morning. God the Son, Christ himself, who's come to bear your sin, who's risen from the dead, he is wooing you. He's alluring you with words of his faithfulness and his love. He's not calling you to himself and then saying, hey, I'm going to make you part of my bride, but first, y'all got some work to do. You got some stuff we need to address, some stuff we need to take care of. He's calling you. He's speaking tenderly to you. He's saying, I choose you. I want you as my own. I'll be faithful to you. I'll provide for you. Everything you need, righteousness, love, mercy, kindness. I want you as my beloved. And so maybe for the first time this morning, you turn to him. Maybe you stop saying yes to everything else you've been saying yes to and instead turn and say yes to Jesus, the perfect bridegroom calling you to himself. Church, we are the bride of Christ. Dearly beloved by our faithful bridegroom. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the perfect bridegroom. That in the midst of our wanderings, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, in the midst of our pursuit of things other than you, you time and again come after us. And you speak tenderly to us, words of kindness, grace, and mercy. You woo us with your love. And so I pray this morning, wherever we find ourselves, that we would be either again or for the first time allured by your love, that we might turn again to you. It's in your name, it's through you, it's because of you that we pray, amen.